We have taken a break from our study through the book of Acts throughout December. We're still taking a break from that for a bit. So I'll have you turn in your Bible to a particular place in just a minute. 2019. What do you think about ambition? In his classic book, Spiritual Leadership, by J. Oswald Sanders, if, if you've never read J. Oswald Sanders' book, Spiritual Leadership, I would commend it to you. It is on the top of many, not the top, but it's in the top group of many, many folks' list of books. Spiritual Leadership. And it's got quite a number of chapters in it addressing all different sorts of things. Chapter 1, right off the bat, is about ambition. Is it okay to be ambitious? And you can imagine what his answer is. Well, it depends. What is it that one is ambitious for? And that's a good question for all of us. What are you ambitious for? I'm going to show you a couple of verses in a minute, in particular one, where the New American Standard, at least, translates it ambition. Others might translate it aspirations. Other translations, aim. What are you ambitious for in life? What are you aspiring to? What is it that you're aiming at? And no doubt we could go down a long list of things that maybe we are ambitious for. Some of them could get us in trouble if we're not careful. We are ambitious for wealth sometimes, ambitious for prestige or power or social prominence or popular acclaim. We get ambitious for our health, or ambitious for good grades, or ambitious for this, that, or the other. Realize Paul used the word ambition, philotime, three times in the New Testament. One of them is in Romans chapter 15, verse 20. You don't need to turn there. He said, And thus I aspired, or thus I was ambitious, to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Paul was ambitious to preach the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he said, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, meaning whether at home with the Lord or, or absent from him in this life, Therefore, we have also as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul was ambitious to preach the gospel. He was ambitious to be pleasing to the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he urged those within Thessalonica to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be 
in any need. Be ambitious to preach the gospel. Be ambitious to be pleasing to him. Be ambitious to lead a a quiet life that is a blessing both to the church and towards outsiders. Paul was ambitious. I want us to take a little bit closer look at one of those. So if you have your Bible or some sort of device, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Among Paul's 13 letters, 2 Corinthians is, um, has been one of the more difficult ones for me in terms of following where Paul's going. Among his 13 letters, I've probably stayed away from 2 Corinthians more than others. But in the last year, I began to read 2 Corinthians more and more. And it has become more and more dear to my heart. In 2 Corinthians, Paul opens up his heart to his readers in ways he doesn't do in any others of his letters. He was under attack. Paul had spent 18 months in the Corinthian church. He had planted it, and he had nurtured it, and he had led them for quite some time. Eventually had to leave and carried on a correspondence with them. But at least part of what was happening was that false teachers had come in to Corinth and were trying to lead the people astray from Paul's gospel. And to do so, they needed to lead, he, they needed to lead the Corinthians away from Paul. And so they questioned his apostolic credentials, his ministry methods, his character, I mean, just attack after attack after attack. In 2 Corinthians, in particular, chapters 1 through 7 and then 10 through 13, in many ways are a defense. Not because, and he says it often, that he was commending himself, but Paul was so desiring for the Corinthians to be, to be grounded in his gospel of grace that he desperately did not want them to believe the lies about him. And so he writes 2 Corinthians. And part of what he does in chapter 3 is he shows the incredible new covenant gospel that had been entrusted to him and to us. That in contrast to what the false teachers were preaching and teaching, that faith in Jesus was good, but you also needed to keep Jewish diet codes and do this and do that. Paul said, no, that's of the letter. That's of the law. We've been entrusted now with this new covenant gospel that we are saved by the grace of God through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 1, because of it, he says, since we have this ministry this new covenant ministry of grace that brings life and that brings righteousness, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. And he goes on in chapter 4, verse 7, realizing, he says, we have this treasure, this gospel message of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. 
we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Part of what we think the opponents were saying about Paul is he suffers so much he surely can't be God's man. And Paul says, listen, this treasure we have in earthen vessels. Indeed, we do suffer. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about the body of, in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Press on to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. So in verse 1, we do not lose heart. In verse 16, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are afflicted. Light, momentary afflicted affliction. Death is ever before us. We carry about in our body the dying of Jesus. But Paul has hope. Even though he's afflicted and even though his body is decaying, and even though death may be right around the door, he has hope. In chapter 5, we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, he's talking about our earthly body, prone to affliction and decay, this earthen vessel, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he's talking about that future resurrection body that all of God's people have to look forward to. Verse 2 for indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. And all God's people said, Amen. I heard you again, Herb. We groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. For he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. He gives us his Spirit as if it's a promise of all that is to come. All of God's purposes for us in verse 5 will be accomplished. And in this context, resurrected, glorified body, swallowed up by life. Verse 6, therefore always being of good courage. Love that phrase, especially when we look at the background of this book and knew all, know all that Paul was going through. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. In the meantime, Verse 9, therefore we also have as our ambition, 
whether at home in that resurrection body, swallowed up by life with the Lord, or absent in this body, still waiting, still groaning, still burdened, this earthen vessel, it is our ambition to be pleasing to him. Here is a godly ambition, is it not? To be pleasing to the Lord. In Ephesians 5, Paul wrote to the, to the Ephesians the idea of trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. In Colossians 1, he prayed, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Friends, are you ambitious to be pleasing to the Lord? Do you aspire to please him? Are you aiming to be pleasing to God? As we think about that, I want to return to some old stuff that we talk about around here to give you some categories, if you will, as you think about this year, and if God is speaking to you in verse 9, and you're, you've got an inclination to say, yes, I'm ambitious to please the Lord, yes, maybe I need to grow. I want us to return to what we sometimes call our marks. Seven things that we've identified that characterize, if you will, a mature follower of Jesus. A working definition of a disciple, if you will. We say we want to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. We want to be a follower of Christ. What might that look like? We talk about seven things and I want to remind you of them and just encourage you to think through. Are you ambitious for these things this year? And as we go through these seven I always like to remind us, these seven are not things we do for God's love. Can I hear an amen? You and I do not do things in order, in order to earn God's love. These are things we do because of God's love. Because of the amazing Grace of God that's come our way through his son, Jesus Christ. Number one, we like to seek God. When thou didst say, seek my face, my heart said to thee, O Lord, thy face I shall seek. Is that you? Well, I wish it was me more and more. It's a new year, and I think just as with new mornings come new mercies from God, maybe new years come with new mercies as well. That just as we wake up in the morning to the new mercies of God, we wake up to 2019 to his mercies. As I say, if you're still breathing, 
You're still in the game. And we have opportunity this year to seek Him, to commune with Him. He is our Creator. He is our Redeemer. He is our Father. And we are His children. And oh, what a privilege the child of God has to spend time with Him. To seek His face in the Word of God. To seek His face in prayer. To seek His face in worship. To seek His face not only individually, but with the corporate church family. What a privilege we have. Will you be ambitious this year to seek God? To know Him? Maybe in ways You've never known him before. If you need a good book, the Bible, in addition to the Bible, if you've never read Knowing God by J.I. Packer, would you order it? You can order it right now on your phone and I won't even care. (laughs) Or go home this afternoon and order Knowing God. And listen, it may be a little bit higher reading than you're used to. Just take your time. Take your time. Read your Bible and read Packer. Seek God. Secondly, love others. Followers of Jesus Christ, they seek God. Lord, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, are people who seek God, who love God, and then who love others. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. These three abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Apostle Paul said the whole law can be summed up in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are lots of things that you and I could be characterized by. Funny. Cool. Good looking. Sharp. Don't tell me what you think about me. (laughs) But if ever you could say, above all things, Love. How wonderful would that be? It is my hope that one day when I'm dead and gone, that those girls of mine say, oh, how he loved us. Our God is an ever-flowing fountain of love within his triune nature. 
the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We talk about this. What were they doing before they created the universe? Before God created the universe, what was he doing? He was loving. God is love. The Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father in this mystery of the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit in this ever-flowing fountain of love towards one another and delight towards one another. And then let's share it. And so the created. And then let's... When humanity fell, let's redeem. He overflows with love towards his people. And we are his children. And we are to bear the family resemblance. Our Father is love. May it be so of us and all of us. This starts at home with our spouse and with our children. And then to our church family and our community and the world. Let's seek God. Let's be ambitious to seek him. And let's be ambitious to love others. Number three, and I better move fast. Pursue holiness. Mm. Will you, will I be ambitious to pursue holiness this year? Holiness is the Christ-like life. It's a life that realizes that our sin, our brokenness, our sin is displeasing to the Lord. Realizing that he has given his Holy Spirit to empower us and given his word to guide us, we are to put off the old and put on the new. We're to put to death the deeds of our body, sin. And we are to bring to life by the Spirit of God that which is good. We looked at it at Christmas Eve, didn't we? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Every single one of us struggles with sin. It is alive and well, even in the heart of God's people. And we're not meant to just brush it under the rug We're not meant to just wink at it and say, you know what, nobody's perfect and God understands. No. He has saved us to be His and saved us to be like Him. And He's in a process of sanctification, of making us more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And by His grace and His strength, we are to join in to that process of holiness. Next Sunday, I hope you'll all be here. Don't wake up next Sunday morning and say, hey, it's beautiful outside, let's stay home. Hey, it's rainy outside, let's stay home. Don't, don't come up with any excuse to stay home next Sunday. You've read about, maybe in my email, maybe you've already read about in that handout, Regeneration. We're going to spend next Sunday talking about this new ministry called Regen. And I just want to say at at this point, if you're going, oh, a gospel-centered recovery program, that's great. I'm, I'm sure there's a handful of folks in our church who could use that. It's for all of us. 
it's for all of us. This is not going to be some backdoor ministry that we say, hey, listen, if you're going to do regen, you can come around and park in the back and come in the back door so nobody knows you're there. No way. It's going to be a front door ministry because it's for everybody. It's not just for alcoholics among us. It's not just for porn addicts that are among us. It's not just those who are eating and then purging among us. It's not just for those who secretly are hurting themselves in order to try and find life. It's not just for those things that you think, oh yeah, great, we've got this thing for them. It's for all of us. Do you struggle with lust? Do you struggle with pride? Do you struggle with greed? Do you struggle with envy? Do you struggle with anger? Are you a sinner? It's for all of us. It's not going to be some backdoor thing, some side door thing where you got to sneak in. Fear? Trust? Anxiety? All of these things. Regen likes to talk about hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Anybody got any of those? Things that are holding you back or knocking you down? Keeping you from the life that God has called us to? I hope you'll be here, and I hope you will strongly consider being a part of it. Will you be ambitious to seek God, to love others, to pursue holiness? Number four, be ambitious this year to serve the church. God's people serve their church family. Every one of God's people has received his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes with a spiritual gift, if not more. Abilities that he's given uniquely to you, and he says in 1 Peter 4, employ them in serving one another. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he says they're given for the good of others. And I would encourage you, if you're already not plugged in to one of our teams, whether it's our first impressions team with the coffee and the greeting and the like, whether it's kids ministry or student ministry or worship ministry or adult ministry, helping us with facilities or with finances or whatever it might be. Maybe you would be ambitious to ask the Lord, where would you like me to serve this year, Lord? Number five. So we like to say that, that followers of Jesus, they seek God. They love others. They, they pursue holiness. They serve the church. They steward their resources. Everything that you and I have has been entrusted to us by God. We are not owners of our stuff. We are stewards. And among other things, that means it seems to me that we are to look to him for our standard of living and our standard of giving. God, how do you want me to steward what you have entrusted 
to me. It's not mine to do with what I will. It's yours. How do you want me to steward it? And in light of God's word, God's people have always been a giving people. God's people give to their local church. They find a a church family that they believe in, that they belong to, that they benefit from, and they give. They always have. They do more with their money. They give to missionaries and they support compassion kids and they give to the poor and they give to local missions and local deals and this, that, and the other. But God's people have always been a people who say, God, what would you have me do? I heard a pastor say a long time ago, he said, you know, whenever you lead somebody to Jesus, sometimes what I like to do is talk to him about four M's just right off the bat. Just right off the board. Okay, I've trusted in Jesus. What do I do now? Number one, mornings. You give your mornings to the Lord. Now, there's no law in that that you have to spend time with God in the morning, but it's a good idea. Mornings. You give God the morning to spend time with him, seeking him and his word and his prayer, and on Sunday morning, you go to church. Mornings. Number two, your mouth. Uh, And that's just not always a dirty mouth. That can be a gossiping mouth or a slanderous mouth, an arrogant mouth. What's in our heart comes just bubbling over. So how you doing with your mouth? Not so good. Okay. So your mornings, your mouth. Number three, your marriage. How you doing loving your wife? How you doing respecting your husband? And then number four, your money. Wait a minute, what? Yeah. God gets you. And it all belongs to him. And you need to begin right now, just as an early Christian, baby Christian, first day Christian, you've been a Christian for a minute. Now you realize you're a steward of everything that he's entrusted to you and he's asking you to be generous. He said, these are not things you do. Well, let me do number one. I'll, you know, I'll get going on number one, my mornings, and then eventually I'll get to number two in my mouth, and maybe on down the road I'll get to loving my wife better, and then I'll get to my money. No, these are day one, off and running, spending time with God, watching over our mouth, loving our spouse, stewarding God's money. Number six. Share the gospel. Are you, will you be ambitious to share the gospel this year? We talk about mission circles, right? And we talk about your circle, where you live, work, play, and passion. And the people who are far from God within your circle. We talk about you owning your circle and then resolving to bless. Say, oh no, here he goes again with that blessed thing. As long as you're living the blessed lifestyle, you don't have to listen to me for the next couple minutes. What do you do once you've identified those lost people in your circle? You begin with prayer. You start praying for them. Then you listen with care. 
as you're visiting with them, as you're talking with them, you're asking good questions and listening. And then you eat together. Hey, why don't y'all come on over to the house? We'll have some dinner. Or, hey, let's go out for lunch. And then you serve in love. And then you share your story. We did a series on that, you all know. And the big idea around the series was that those are just practical little things that every one of us can do to live the missional life. Living on mission with Jesus isn't hard. It's just hard. It's, you begin with prayer, you listen with care, you eat together, you serve in love, and you share your story. Will you do that this year? Will you be ambitious with the Apostle Paul to share the gospel and then finally multiply disciples? What was the Great Commission? Go make disciples. It's helping someone else to follow Jesus by deliberately doing spiritual good to them. That's how Mark Dever, wonderful pastor and author, describes it. There's more to say on that, but it's time to go. Listen to this. Seek God. Love others. Pursue holiness. Serve the church. Steward your resources. Share the gospel. Multiply disciples. I had breakfast yesterday with a new friend, and uh, he was talking about David Platt's book from several years ago called Radical. And how he felt like in, in David's book, he was just calling, he was calling God's people to do things like the seven I just described. It's not how David put them, but like that. To seek God, to love others, to pursue holiness, to serve the church, to steward your resources, to share the gospel, to multiply disciples. And over breakfast, as he was talking about that book, he said, you know what, it seems to me that he shouldn't have called it radical. He should have called it normal. Is that not the normal Christian life? Must we be radical? To spend time seeking to know our God. To aspire to be a people of love because we have been so loved by God. First, we love because he first loved us. Is it radical to pursue holiness? Is it radical to commit to my local church and to jump in and serve? Is that what radical Christians do? Or is that what normal Christians do? Is it radical to be generous with the resources that God has entrusted to me? Or is that just what normal Christians have done for centuries? In light of the word of God and the generosity that God has shown towards us, God's people are just generous. Is it radical to share the gospel? Or ought not that be just normal? Of course we share the gospel. And making disciples. Friends, I want you to know, me too. If it's normal 
I'm abnormal. But I look at those seven and I go, oh, how wonderful would life be? I think that following Jesus Christ is a life of joy. That's why we say it's our mission to joyfully follow Jesus. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. In this you greatly rejoice, Peter said, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. A life knowing Christ and following Christ, seeking to be pleasing to him, is the best kind of life. And when you and I settle for something else, we're just walking through the mud. We're just walking through the mud. So 2019 in front of us, God's grace is supreme towards us. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. He loves you. You are secure in him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. For by grace you were saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it was a gift of God, not as a result of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, though, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're not saved by good works, but God's people, overcome by his grace and love, have always been a people of goodness, of noble ambition to be pleasing to him. Let's pray. Lord God, just as your grace so inspired those Macedonian Christians to give out of their deep poverty so generously, might your grace so inspire us this year to seek our God, to love our family, our neighbors, our friends, our enemies, our city and the world, to pursue holiness, to serve our church family, to steward our resources and be generous with what you've entrusted to us, to share the gospel, to multiply disciples. May the words of the Apostle Paul be ours in ever-growing measure. We have as our ambition, our aim, our aspiration, we are laboring to be pleasing to him. May it be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.